When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey out there rock and rollers, welcome to the 70th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded right here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. A proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network, which you can find at pantheonpodcast.com or at Pantheon Pods. And we want to thank everybody for tuning in to last week's show on Pink Floyd's A Momentary Lapse of Reason. I know that a lot of Pink Floyd fans don't even consider that a proper Pink Floyd album because it doesn't have Roger and you don't want to slit your wrists after listening to it. But it was important for me and Jackson. We got a lot of positive feedback on the web and, and from folks who enjoyed the show. So we appreciate that. Uh, its 35th anniversary is coming up a little bit later this year. March is International Women's History Month. And to that end, we thought we would put together a show of women who rock. I know that it's kind of a male-dominated industry, but the fact of the matter is there's a lot of great female rock acts and women in this business for sure. Nita Strauss just got to the top of the American charts for the first time, and I think it was 25 years that a woman, solo woman, had held that. I know the Warning Band and Plush are a couple of up-and-coming bands that are really good. And so we've got a couple of women on today, different fields, who we think need some attention. First up is Amanda Lehman, and from this show, you know Amanda. We've had her on before. She's a fantastic musician, singer, songwriter. She's toured with Steve Hackett, and I got to see her live in London here last year. Her album, Innocence and Illusion, was fantastic. And she's got a new single out called One Last Spin. It's got a good cause attached to it. So we're going to talk to Amanda a little bit about that, but also talk to her about some things that we didn't get to cover last time, including not only her involvement in a heart tribute band, but a little time that she spent with Asia King Crimson, Family, UK, Uriah Heep, lead vocalist, John Wetton. And second, we've got Anne Estella. She's a rock journalist with a great social media presence and a kind of a fire plug. You know, she's got a lot to say and she's got a great attitude. And she's out there finding new bands and covering festivals and trying to shed some light on what's the best experience for the fans and bands out there. She got a little heat recently from an article she posted about a festival that maybe wasn't living up to its end of the bargain. And we can get a little into that on the show for sure. But she's a, she's quite a character. She's a fun interview. Uh, and I hope you're going to like what she has to say to you here. As usual, we got to plug. Please download and subscribe anywhere you like to get your podcast, where it's Amazon, Google Play, Spotify, Apple, Good Pods, Anywhere you get it, please do, and think about, if you like it, consider giving us a positive review. Not only does it help us find more rock fans like you, but we might just read it on the show. So a couple of great interviews with a couple of amazing women. Let's get into it right here. First up 
It's going to be Amanda Lehman, then Anastella. We're talking women who rock here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, there she is. Hello. Hi, Amanda. Hi, yeah. Welcome back to the show. Yes. Nice to be back again. It seems like no time ago since I last talked to you. Well, it kind of it kind of wasn't very long ago, I will admit. But it but, wasn't, uh, was it? But yeah, time just flies, doesn't it? Yeah, I apologize. I'm not wearing a suit and tie today, but it's, it's more... No, I know. Time. Yes, what, what? I mean, the standards are slipping. <laughs> no, I'm actually technically on vacation. We're actually together in London. Ah, have you been to a certain gig then? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> he, 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 all right, so he's here with his family. But the, I was okay. at a I was at a certain gig on Friday night at the O2, waving goodbye to some people that that you know you may be familiar with. I'm not going to get into the details, but I will just say that the gig that I saw at the Palladium with you this fall was much better value and a lot more fun and every bit as good musically as the one I saw Friday without naming any names. Cool. So cool. Oh, that, that's great. <laughs> Um, not not to downgrade or denigrate anybody or speak ill of people who have bad health, but just say, tell Nads I will see him sing those songs before anybody else in the world anytime. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's nice. That's grand. But we only have, you know, we don't have as much time as we do last time, so obviously we want to uh, just see how you're doing in the last couple months since we spoke and talk about your latest single, which is kind of part of a 
a big cause and a big project out of Scotland, yes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. One last spin. One last spin. And it's a beautiful song. Kind of has a Baroque sound to it. Was this a project that, do you have some kind of connection to the subject matter or was it just something you were interested in? Well, it's a, it's a funny thing because I've never really been hugely aware of it, mm-hmm. uh, of the whole thing of gambling. And I've done an interview last year with uh, Sylvia Fountain, radio presenter. And after the interview, we were chatting about this, that and the other. And the subject came up because she is involved with these guys who have now done a documentary about it called One Last Spin. And so she was talking to me about uh, about that and I was sort of interested and we got onto the subject of, of how gambling can affect people. And I think I hadn't realised the scale of the problem. I, I knew of it distantly, but I, I, it kind of brought it to the forefront of my mind and I was quite shocked. Mm. And as the conversation went on, I said, look, you know, well, I'm happy to help. I'll, I'll write a song for this. And that's kind of how that started. And they were really keen for me to use the title, which which works brilliantly for a song anyway, because of the whole spinning kind of theme of of gambling. And so basically, yeah, that, that's how it started. I didn't have any uh, knowledge of it at all. So I had to go away and research because <laughs> I didn't want to write a song just on what I assumed it was all about. And I wanted to really kind of watch videos people had released, you know, talking about it, reading about it. And I really kind of got into the whole psychology of of it as an addiction in itself. It was was quite an eye-opener, it really was. And now I'm just noticing on, you know, on the TV or or on the internet, wherever, just so many gambling adverts and luring people in all the time. It's, you know, sport, it's frightening. And on the high street, right? You go walk down the high street, there's a couple betting parlors to go into. I'm like, that's different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, in the United States, I think that it is not, it's not treated as well as it should be. I mean, if if you're addicted to alcohol or drugs, I think people are, are much more sympathetic, but gambling is just as big of a problem. But unfortunately, it just doesn't get the press that it deserves. Because yes. yeah, it's it it will ruin people pretty easily. And to your point, yeah. I mean, if you if you pay attention, there's stuff all over the place. Especially now, I mean, we have we have all kinds of sports gambling in the United States on the internet, and you know we have cities built on gambling. So yeah, it is it's it's a, something that needs to be brought to light and uh, and yes. made, yeah. people made aware of. Yeah, I think that's very true. It is like building awareness because it isn't one of those addictions or, or you know lures that people get into these these cycles. It's not one of the ones that is most known about. You know, I wasn't hugely aware of it, and I think that there is a lot of stigma around it. And and I think with things like alcohol or drugs, you know, it's a substance, so you can say oh, well, yeah, I got hooked on it, which mm-hmm. kind of, to a certain extent, takes the responsibility off yourself. Whereas I think that with things like gambling, there isn't neat in the sense it's not a, a substance. So you can't say it's in my body right. and I'm addicted to like nicotine. It, it, so it, it actually, I think, is a lot harder for people, A, to accept them, you know, what is happening within themselves and, and be decent to themselves, but also the stigma around it. People say, well, they should just stop, shouldn't they? Or what silly thing to do, you know? And, and I think that there's a lack of understanding. Right. That goes with this. I think the other problem is too, like if I showed up here 
intoxicated or on drugs, you would say there's something, but I mean, I could have just been standing on the street corner gambling all my life savings away and you'd have never known it. So I think it's, it's something that you can keep a lot more hidden than other addictions. Yes. And I think along with that comes a huge sense of isolation that people feel because they are alone. It's hidden. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows it's going on and uh, you know, they can be getting into worse and worse and worse situations. And this is, you know, the classic sort of thing that, that, everything just falls apart with with debts and they can't run away from it anymore but i think that the isolation that is felt is is huge with this particular addiction when you decided to take on this project did you have ideas for a song in your head or did you start from did you start from scratch on this one well initially uh, I, I had an idea for writing a song about addiction anyway, which I will write anyhow. And I've got a lot of sort of uh, prep already done for that. And I think the more I thought about this, the more I thought, actually, no, I'm going to write an entirely new song for this. So this, this needs a different treatment rather than a general one. So, yeah, I did start from scratch on it. But I think that because I was... So I was doing sort of research and watching things. And I think that gave me feelings and ideas and those started, you know, words rolling around. And I thought quite early on of the whole waltz type of feel to it, which is a kind of a very around. And you're spinning around, around yeah. yes. Yeah, the relentless wheel of fortune. And that sort of was very early on that I started to knit the, the words into that. But it did, I did have to spend quite a long time getting the balance of it right and getting the message across but also getting it across in a palatable way you know so you're not turning people off you're drawing them in to the song and into the subject and then um that you you know hoping that that will kind of give an idea of of what is going on with this thing i was going to say the film itself i mean is that coming out later this year is that going to be in limited release is it already out like what's the story as far as the release of the film well the film there is a trailer released at the moment which uh there are links to the film itself is not released to the public yet because they're going to be showcasing this with sort of a that, that are all to do with the, the, this whole uh, situation. And then once those um, dates are, are all completed, uh, then that will then be on public release to watch. But yes, there is a, a documentary trailer. Sounds and right. any information you can find for this is on one last spin.vision. So there's actually a website set up for this that uh, that you can always go and look at and the the link to the trailer is on that. So okay, good. yes, it's the same name, one last spin dot vision. I've not heard of a dot vision before. But there you go. All right. Well did you do everything on this track? Did you sing, play all the instruments, produce it? Did you did anybody help you arrange it? Is it all you? It started off as all me. I've I wrote it all, arranged it all, put it all together, uh, recorded the vocals and the guitar, and then I sent it off to Mr. Nick Magnus. There you go. Who I work so well with, you know, I just so enjoy working with him. And I've said to Nick, look, I'm doing this project. I'd love your treatment on this. Are you interested? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I sent, um, you know, the, my completed works over, and we chatted about the kind of thing that, I was thinking and that he was thinking and the whole sort of, you know, like little touches of fairground and, and the whole sort of idea of, a, sort of like a string, like a string quartet, mm-hmm. a little bit waltzy, a little bit, again, a little, little bit of Tim Burton in there, you know, a little bit sort of 
unusual. I heard and, that uh, yeah, definitely. It, it did. Uh, yes, yeah, there is, but that slightly, slightly mad sort of off kilter thing that and you can imagine. That seems like it that, comes um, in more yeah. at the end. Like it seems like it's building more. Like things are getting it more does. chaotic, more off the rails mm-hmm. as the, the song progresses, and you can kind of, if, if you really listen to the lyrics, you can tell this person is is getting. It kind of starts off okay, but then we're getting farther and farther into the, yeah, we're just, we're going down the spiral. Spinning out. Yeah. Spinning out of control. Absolutely. You're dead right. I'm really glad that you say that because that shows that the music has communicated that because it gets madder, doesn't it? And it's all spinning, everything's all spinning around. And yeah, Nick Magnus picked up really well on all of that enhanced because I've done spinny vocals and then he enhanced that with with everything he put into it and obviously did his engineering on it as well and and he, he sent it back to me like oh I don't know what you're gonna think of this I really hope you like it and I was like yeah I, I love it it's absolutely spot on so it, yeah so happy with what he did and with that's, that. that's the nice part I guess about working with somebody like that like they just you don't really have to communicate like they just get what you want to do or where you're trying yeah. to go with it yeah, yeah. There's, I can't imagine there's anything yeah, worse absolutely. than just fighting. Like, you get it back, like, no, this isn't anything what I want. Right. You just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, because there's always that nervous that when you get something at you, or, or you know, if I do something for someone and send it, and you're like, oh, God, you know, I, I, I like it. Why? It's so subjective, isn't it? So, yeah, there's always that slight sort of nervousness when you're, when you're particularly you're working remotely, so you haven't been thrashing it out in the same studio together. Right, uh, yeah, you don't have that. Over, there's a silence. Yeah, you don't, you don't have that real-time uh, interaction <laughs> with, you know, hearing it exactly at that point in time and saying either yes or no. So, yeah, it's like a present you're opening up, like, I hope I like this. <laughs> That's right. Yes, I know. It's really nerve-wracking. I think presents, isn't it? <laughs> the person who's given it to you is looking at you like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I really hope I like this. But but I mean, I think it's a really good cause because it seems to me that gambling is becoming more mainstream in ways. You know, it's yeah. almost like this is a legit, legitimate business. Like you're not watching football and they say. Come down to the corner and score some heroin. You know, they, they, they can't do that on TV. But they could say, yeah, come to Patty Power or come down, you know, to the track or whatever. And I, I don't know when the lottery started here in the UK, but I have grocery stores a block away that all sell lottery tickets. And I remember the lottery started to become big in the 80s in America. And that's also where you started to see the middle class and the lower class getting squeezed because rich people don't buy lottery tickets. Only people who like, if I buy enough lottery tickets, I might win and that could change my life, you know. Also, it used to be you could only maybe gamble in Vegas or maybe on a cruise ship or something like that. Now, most states have gambling boats or gambling parlors. Like, well, if we can make money and we can give the profits to education, oh, okay, great. But it's, it can ruin a lot of families, this gambling, and big businesses get in it to make money. But what's it do to the communities? I, I think it's a bigger problem than people want to admit. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a huge problem. And it, it's just in every corner. It's just everywhere you look. You know, that's why I said demons at my door. It's just, it's everywhere. And yeah, as you say, you're not going to have have uh, somebody, you know, yeah, saying, come buy some heroin over here it's, it's you're not going to have that and obviously nor should you and yeah I, I think that gambling perhaps has a place I don't know does it doesn't it I, I'm not quite sure about that but 
I think it, the, there's no regulation that, that I can see on it. And it, it does seem to be spiraling out of control and more and more and more. Internet, well, it's just, you're just constantly bombarded with this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's frightening. Yeah, and it's one thing if you had to go to an underground you know, mahjong parlor to gamble. Now it's all on your phone. You know, it's just like checking a yeah. score. You can just boop, boop. I just, yeah, I just gambled this week's wages. Hope I win them back. You know, that, that's just a little scary to me. Yeah. So I, I, I'm happy for you uh, to bring some light to this and, and to be part of a, a just cause, in my opinion. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. I think yes, it's, also, it's yeah. also nice that, that the song is, it's got, it's a very serious subject. It's a very sad subject, but the music is almost, I mean, it fits, but it's not overly depressing. Like it, it really, it kind of, it, it balances it out, I guess is what I want to say. Like when I, when I heard it the first time, I kind of thought of like people dancing, like in a big ballroom, Mm -hmm. but then like things falling down behind them or explosions or something that's (laughs) like something is coming along. You just don't see it yet, but you're going to fall off the cliff very soon. Yeah. I like that. Yes, that is. I definitely did have a dance hall kind of feel about it, and and exactly, I wanted it to be a song that was nice to listen to, mm-hmm. that people want to listen to. And, and I finally sort of way again the gambling thing. Hey, it's all lights, it's all nice, it's fun. Come and play, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. have a good time. And then, whoa, you know, the whole thing picks up, and it, yeah, as you say, it falls off the edge. And so, if I'd start, I mean, I, I, when I started writing it, I, I gave it an introduction that was a bit like the end bit, which is kind of quite sort of a bit down and and contemplative and I recorded it and it was going to be there and then I listened to it and I thought I don't know I don't want that that's 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 not right that's not that's the end that's not the beginning okay so I stripped it all out started again what am I going to do and that's when I came up with the the idea of just doing the the vocals all on their own just just to sort of introduce the song and then the sort of slightly spinny vocals and then it off you go so it, it yeah it, it's very important I think to not just depress the hell out of people with something before you've started because you want the message to get across you want people to listen right. and, and then to understand and come it's a story and to, to be drawn in definitely and you know you're down five thousand well one last spin right we can get it all back it's like, yeah, that's the wrong mindset <laughs> yeah yeah, it's hellish, really hellish. Well, yeah. you looked amazing in the, the photo shoot that you had that ended up, I think, in Prague with the blue dress holding your red guitar. Yeah. I thought, that that's a great shot. I'm going to use that on, on Twitter if she lets me. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's a pretty dress. <laughs> yeah, you looked pretty amazing. Guitar. Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. We're happy to talk more about the uh, the film and your, your song, but the fact of the matter is, the last time you were on, we didn't get to ask you all the questions that we wanted to. Um, oh, yes, I do rabbit on. <laughs> yes. And, well, anyone who knows our show knows that we are huge Asia fans, and we love the late John Wetton. And oh, yes. you toured and, and played and sung with John... So I guess we just kind of want to be little kids at your feet <laughs> and say, how was John, who we've loved since we were nine years old? What kind of man was he? What was it like to play with him? Any stories that you can tell? We would we would love to, to know more about the late, great John Wetton. 
yeah, John is John Wetner's just oh, he's such a nice guy, a really genuinely decent guy. So good to hear. It was just so easy to get on with. I remember the first time I met him when we were rehearsing and he came joining, he just joined in and he was so laid back and unpretentious. There was nothing kind of, you know, Mr. Big about him at all. Okay. He was humble. He was just so nice. And he's also, he he also had a, a, a wicked sense of humour as well. Really, really <laughs> funny guy as well. We'd always have a laugh together. Good to hear. And uh, I just really liked John. I enjoyed any kind of musical association with him. And I enjoyed chatting to him backstage. And yeah, a, a thoroughly nice escape. So very, very sadly missed. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think maybe it had something to do with the fact that he, he was a vocalist? That's probably what people know him for most. But he also was a musician. Not that a vocalist isn't a musician, but he played the bass and he, he was yeah. he was involved with making the music on the stage also. Do you think maybe that had something to do with him not being kind of like a diva because he was also part of the band? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like It's interesting for me to see somebody who can do both of those things because I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. And to have somebody who can <laughs> sing and play the bass at a high level is pretty, uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely it is, yes. I think that I think that he's a he, he was a nice guy anyway. I think that uh, I'm, I'm sure there are people who can do that who are full of themselves, Happy with um, themselves yeah. as well as those that aren't. I think that yeah. I, I, but he was also very talented in a, being able to do all those things. He was a multi instrumentalist, mm-hmm. and again, just very kind of laid back with that. Uh, he didn't sort of push himself forwards or anything. He was happy just to slot in, do do whatever. You know, it was very easy. But it's just such a good musician, so talented, and and just he had a presence about him as well. But again, it was a very natural presence. It wasn't a sort of big the big I am. It was he was very just had a very solid presence about him. Yeah, and, and that was about a decade ago or so that you you did some tours some, some shows with him yeah that would have been um I'm trying to think the first time i met him was probably 2010 perhaps okay um, he joined us i think the first time was when he joined us i think we did a gig at shepherd's bush okay. show in london might have been that one and he joined we did all along the watchtower that's great that's <laughs> so fun <laughs> yes, can we, can we find uh, recordings of that anywhere? I, it's not recorded as such. I think there are YouTubes here. And there. What's okay. that one actually? That one, that one, I think was on one of the very first live DVDs. That might be. Oh, I'd have to look that up. Will okay. you guys look up? It, it, I think it might have actually been one of the live dvds of uh, steve hackett's live dvds so okay. i have to have a look it might be it might be there for posterity actually but if not there's youtube okay which, uh, yeah. which, which I means i might remember. have it because i have bought everything <laughs> steve's done the last 12 years it's just i don't yeah. have them all with me here in london so i can't just look them no. up um but of course <laughs> yeah, you know no, he, that, that might you know okay well and but of course i have the, the tokyo tapes that he made with Steve before uh, maybe you guys were, were working together, but the Tokyo Tapes yeah. that they did in Asia was amazing. You know, it, it was amazing group of talent, but then to sing his own songs, to sing Kim Crimson, to sing Genesis songs with Steve, to do a little heat of the moment, that was special. And so I knew that Steve had known him and played with him, but when I saw on Twitter that you had also toured, I'm like, well, we've got to get a hold of that, man. we got to know about that, yeah. Yes. <laughs> now... Yeah. Now, yeah, no, yeah, very enjoyable. 
Yeah. Now, something else that we looked up because we um, we, we love American rock and roll. I'm actually going to be talking. We're going to be talking with Deborah Bonham next week because she's got a great new album come out. A fellow Tenacity PR act, and I saw her open for Ann Wilson, Jeff Beck, and Paul Rogers. And okay. you have a little connection to Heart in that you were in a Heart tribute band, were you not? I was, yes. I was. I was the part of Nancy Wilson. So that that oh, that was such fun. That was really good fun. That was. I thoroughly enjoyed learning all those 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 parts. And Nancy's always been one of my kind of icons anyway. Since like I was very young, um, with like listening to like Dreamboat Annie, mm-hmm. that album is I think one of my favourite Hearts albums and uh, I've always thought that like you know the, the guitar at the beginning of Crazy On You that mm-hmm. acoustic I thought I've got to learn this yeah. it's not the kind of style I normally play so it's great because I learned a lot by you know having to learn her parts and that that was it was also fun because with with when you're playing prog music you can kind of move around obviously but you, you've got to be I think when I first joined Steve in the band I was like you know, and, and, I, and I realized that I had calm down a bit because everybody else knows it's like I think I'm just yeah I'm probably being quite annoying I need to just just <laughs> stop being quite so manic all the way through so but with with something like heart you can fling your hair around and spin around and right. really, you know, just do all the glam rock things. So that was also fun. And the, the band that I played with were all really nice people, really good musicians. Lisa Fury, who did, uh, took the part of Anne Wilson, she, she's got an amazing voice, absolutely, you know, really full of gravel and very powerful. So it, it was, I think it was only about a year or so we did that because we were all busy and we just didn't really have the, the time to carry on with it. But we gigged, so we did just quite a lot of gigs with it. We gigged like this, like a couple of sort of biker festivals, and it was just really, really good fun. <laughs> so this, enjoyable. Was this like eighties heart? The look that you were going for? Yes, I just so, haven't got my hair. I was going to say, so like, there's a lot of hairspray going on there, <laughs> right? Right. Hairspray. Right. Probably and took you. Coat. Probably took them longer to get ready than actually play the show. play the gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that's right. <laughs> what was the name? What was the what was the name? It was called Reckless Heart. Reckless Heart. Mm. Reckless Heart. I'm sorry yeah. I missed that. It I, is a shame. Yes, it was good. <laughs> well, Nancy is an inspiration, and it's you know she didn't just inspire women to be like, well, I can she can play just like as well as the boys, then I can go out and do it. But I know a lot of young men who are like. Well, I better at least be able to play as well as Nancy Wilson, so I better practice these hard songs, right? Because she can jam. And yes, they did well in the MTV era because Nancy's, uh, yeah, I would say she's a beautiful woman. Um, it, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. It doesn't hurt the MTV, the glossy MTV years, but it, to last this long, you can't just be about your looks. You know, you have to deliver yeah. with the, yeah. the goods, and they do. Now, I will say, I saw yeah. it was Anne and Nancy, and I think Carrie Underwood, and it was like one of these, like, you know, icon performances. And so, and I don't even remember what song it was. It was a hard song, but I don't remember which one. And Carrie Underwood was singing. And then Ann Wilson came in and was like, go ahead and sit down, little girl. <laughs> she just, just the power in her voice just dwarfed her. And I was like, wow, like she had, that, I mean, just blew her off the stage. Like that's yeah. a real performer, kids. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Tons of, tons of charisma, tons of talent. And just power. And, and, and then, and then the power. thing was, 
But then you always had Anne as the as the lead singer. But then they do these dreams, and all of a sudden, uh oh, now Nancy is the it can be the lead singer on a number one hit, yeah. written by Bernie yes. Taupin, I think. Yeah, no, that's a lovely song. I've, yeah, but it was one of the ones we we covered in the band, so that was my lead vocal spot. <laughs> Are there any YouTube uh, videos of of Reckless Heart out there? Oh, uh, probably, but then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what these things are like, they got like, you know, the, the sound is, is all like naffed up and yeah, and there's nothing I would go, oh, there's this one actually, it's a shame because it, it would have been lovely actually to get some really good, we, we were going to actually put it together some proper footage of it, but again, it's just time and sure. we didn't prioritise it enough, it's a shame because it, it was good. <laughs> well, and that's what that's what stinks for for people like us because we we think every concert anywhere should have been recorded professionally so that you can put it out. It's like okay, we don't have the time, we don't have the equipment, we don't have the money to do this. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish everything was available like that, but unfortunately, it's just sometimes it just doesn't happen like yeah. that. No, that's true. It doesn't. Thinking going back for a split second, I think that it's live in Hammersmith, not the latest, but the, the, the original live in Hammersmith live DVD that's mm-hmm. got. All along the watchtower with John Wetton on it. I'm pretty okay. sure that's the one that's got that on it. Right, well, so, we'll we'll look for that. I we'll find that, that for sure. Yeah. Like, suddenly, like my brain caught up myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's okay. I was just curious. I mean, I, this is secondhand information coming from you, but I know that Joe and Steve and the band were in Poland recently. And, uh, you know, obviously the situation in Ukraine has got everyone just really upset and, and kind of unnerved about the future. It seems to me that the, the Polish people have been very generous and gracious as far as letting millions of people into their country and trying to help those who have lost their homes. Can you give us a sense, if you spoke with, with, with them a little bit about what the feeling was in Poland during the few days they were there? I think that there were, well, I mean, there was obviously a heightened awareness because you're, particularly like Warsaw, you're very near to, to what's going on. That's right. It was quite strange. Um, there were a lot, you know, a lot of people around who uh, were obviously escaping from there. And there were, there was just, yeah, I think there was um, an atmosphere of activity mm-hmm. around it. But I, I think it was, in a way, I think they found it was more normal than they thought it would be. They thought it would be more kind of like perhaps stressful or, scary. or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's scary, but it, it, everybody was kind of going along as normal. So, and I think that's what does happen, isn't it? That, that you know, you kind of carry on with your life and everything just fits in, you readjust and carry on. And I think that, yeah, I, I think they were doing an absolutely incredible job over there of helping people. And sadly, it uh, seemed to be rather difficult to get people over here mm-hmm. to help them. Uh, they were definitely not, it wasn't easy, you know, made easy to, to get them over here, which I, I think is a terrible shame. But yes, I think over there they are doing huge amount but yeah I think the atmosphere was quite it, it was it was heightened and I would imagine that the uh doing those shows over there as well w- was great for people because it it's an it, escape it gives a lightness doesn't escape mm-hmm. that's right and and it's just something for people to just absorb themselves in and thoroughly enjoy and just be somewhere else for a while rather than thinking about this awful awful situation over you know on their doorstep yeah well uh, I'm glad that because those dates I think had been rescheduled so I'm, I'm glad we, you know they had to they could complete those dates of course yes. then then the band was supposed to go to Canada for about four days and I guess there was a someone had a positive test so uh 
I'll have to reschedule yeah. those, right? <laughs> that is a real shame. Yeah, it's just one of those things you can't get over there. Someone's got COVID, so, mm-hmm. you know, nobody on a plane is going to want that anyway. So, yeah, it's it, it's a real shame. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, be careful, be careful, be careful, because, yeah, and hopefully get out ASAP for the next lot of gigs as soon as, as, soon as it's uh, able. Well, yeah. they're coming to Florida, and I think Action here is going to see them in Florida, but we're already talking about you know Foxtrot at fifty. I believe it's October twelfth that you play Hammersmith. I have yeah. one ticket, but he's like, "Well, maybe I'll fly over." I'm like, "Well, how am I going to get the ticket next to me, man? I, you know, they already sold those." <laughs> That's true, yes. uh, but he wants to see you. I think is the point. He's like, "I'll see the band. It'll be great to do seconds out, but I would like to see Foxtrot at fifty, and I'd love to see Amanda play." I'm like, "All right, well." Yeah. And Foxtrot's a great record. I mean, I'd, I'd like to see it start to finish. And yes, having you yeah. there would yeah. be an added bonus. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'll be there. I mean, do you have any other? Things play. I mean, obviously, you'll be touring this fall, and you say you're writing some songs. And when we did our last interview with you on Innocence and Illusion, you said, "Yeah, I've, I've got some more stuff going on." So, anything this summer that we need to know about? Nothing being released yet because I'm still working on it, and I've also been working on some collaborations with with people that I promised last year and said, "But I can't do them yet." So, you know, I've got a bit a sort of a backlog of music that I'm working on that I've promised to work on, which is lovely because it's it's really exciting working on other people's projects as well because it kind of expands your mind a bit more sort of creatively so I'm at the moment a lot of the music for my next album is is in my head but there's there's an awful lot of it (laughs) so uh, I'm really looking forward to this yeah getting that uh, down on onto something uh, tangible and making progress with that so that will be I will keep you posted on that one (laughs) please do please do and you're welcome back anytime you got something that you'd like to talk about, we love having you on. Excellent. Oh, that's cool. That's good because you guys are really good and you ask really interesting questions. It's just like really nice chatting to you. So Thank you. Yeah, more people need to hear it. Before we let you go, Amanda, can you give us the website for the One Last Spin movie one more time, please? One Last Spin dot vision. Dot vision. Yeah. Okay. So it's One Last Spin, all one word, One Last Spin dot vision. So it's quite easy to remember, actually, if you can just remember the vision bit. That's the bit I forget. (laughs) And you can be found at amandalayman.co.uk? Yes, that's my one. Yes, amandalayman.co.uk. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you kindly. Yeah, lovely to talk to you guys. Thank you. (laughs) That was a fun chat with Amanda, our second chat with Amanda. We had a great chat with her a couple of months back, talking about her album, Innocence and Illusion. It was great to be able to catch up with her on One Last Spin, her new single, attached to the film of the same name about gambling addiction and the woes thereof that I hope everyone can check out. Just great to be able to talk to her about playing with John Wett and anyone who's listened to this show from the beginning knows that we're huge Asia fans and we try to work Asian in every show. It's pretty easy on this one. So we really appreciate her giving her time to us here today and know that she's doing great. We shift gears now though, we're going to talk to another woman in rock, and Estella, who is a rock journalist, is a great social media presence, and is covering a lot of different festivals around the UK this summer. And she likes to promote young new bands that maybe need the promotion that people haven't heard of but should. And we've been following her on social media for a while, so we thought we'd take the opportunity to sit down with Anne and get her to give us a little background on not only how she became a rock journalist, but what turns her on? What should we know about? What festivals do we need to know about? Which bands do we need to know about that we don't? So without further ado, let's get into our our talk with Anastella here on The Wolf. 
Thank you, Anne. Welcome, Anne Estella, to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. We've been uh, we've been following you on social media for a while, but that doesn't that doesn't make us unique. You have a very nice social media following, and you know you talk about the things you promote, the kind of stuff that we love. You know, rock music and Good. concerts. Nice to hear that. Yeah festivals, things like that. And so we wanted a chance to kind of talk with you and, and get your perspective on a few things. You've you've kind of made a name for yourself here. Uh, certainly lately, you've gotten a little bit of press here lately with, with, with one of your reviews, which we'll absolutely want to get into. But, you know, for our folks maybe in America, I know you work for AMP, which is an American publication, but maybe you can give us, right, a, yeah. Uh, yeah, you give us a little background on how, I know you, you, you're primarily, I think you, you would say that you are a writer, but obviously you're yeah. a rock fan fan and you've helped promote a lot of bands and a lot of shows and festivals so why don't you give us a little background on how you broke into becoming a rock journalist and kind of your journey into where you are now i love being asked this question because it's not a conventional journey you know i didn't study journalism at university or anything like that i did modern languages with a strong emphasis on literature and linguistics so i've always had that love for language to begin with and initially i went into a, a writing job in corporate finance ah, so, uh, hey me too creative of areas for a writer and it was quite frustrating for me you know the set way of writing stuff there and and you couldn't really give any opinion it was all very very much fact-based of course and you know i um i went to cut a very long story short uh, or a longish story short I, I ended up going to um a gig a, a few years ago in manchester uh, at a venue i've never heard of because i had been out of the, the rock scene for quite some time at that point believing there was nothing new out there nothing good or worth listening to as many people do unfortunately at the moment right and, I, and i've got a ticket for a gig because it was a band that i used to love back in the day when i was in london and it was called the dogster moor but now they're tyler's dogster moor and i thought wow they're, they're like they're still going you know i mean i think they had stopped for some time but they were brought back you know reincarnated and i've got to go and see them so i had the ticket and i went to see them and while i was there of course i watched the um the support acts and one of them was a fairly new band from Manchester that I'd never heard of before called Gorilla Riot and they just blew me away ah. and I decided I was going to write about about you know the, the gig about uh, you know I'd never written a gig review before okay barely ever read one to be quite honest with you but <laughs> um I you know I, I used to like doing reviews I, I love perfume I used to write like perfume reviews and that kind of stuff for an online website you know for a blog so I thought well I've been in touch with Manchester Rocks. I'd done a little search beforehand, before I'd gone to this gig. I wanted to know what was out there. You know, is there, is there a rock scene in Manchester anymore? Because it used to be a brilliant one. I mean, that's cool. pretty much what brought me here. Then my university. You know, it was a great rock scene. Yeah, early, late 80s, early well. to mid 90s. It was incredible in Manchester. I, I moved here in 95. Okay. So right in the middle of Manchester and, and Oasis was everywhere. And, and it was So anyway, so I'd been in touch with Manchester Rocks. And, and they mentioned on their website that they... We're looking for writers. They said something like, join your team, join our team. I thought, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. So, of course, I contacted them and, and I spoke to the editor quite a few times. He said, well, yeah, we're looking for people to, that love rock, that love writing. That can, I thought, well, I like both those things. And I'm going to this gig anyway. Well, why don't I write about it for you? So that's exactly what I did. I really immensely enjoyed writing about that. And especially this newer band that I was completely, you know, blown away by. I thought, people don't know that these bands exist. They're on our doorstep. And they should be, they played to like a tiny crowd. You know, they were like the first band on. Sure. There were hardly anyone there that point but this is wrong people need to know about these guys and there must be others like them so that's kind of what got the ball rolling for me and I just started doing more and more and yeah they took me on as like a, a permanent 
writer. I wrote a huge, you know, huge amount of, of reviews. Uh, it was meant to be just gig reviews to begin with, but then they said, well, if we send you a list of new albums, do you fancy reviewing them? Okay, I'll give it a go. Fine. Um, and all genres I got, you know, from extreme metal to Americana and everything in between. So whether or not it was my cup of tea, it really didn't matter. I enjoyed the challenge. I enjoyed finding interesting things about it. You know, I, not the technical side so much. Right. Um, I've actually got a classical background. I was a flautist you know, when I was a child and growing up. So I, I knew music from that side and as a fan of rock. So I, I generally wrote my reviews from a very, very personal perspective. Basically, it was how it made me feel, how being at the gig made me feel, how, what the music sounded like. So that if you weren't there, you could hopefully just really imagine what it would have been like. And I tried to capture that energy in my writing. And hopefully that's what I did. And from there, it just spiraled. You know, I ended up writing for five UK publications at one point. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the interviews started. So we did some interviews for us. Yeah. You know, I'd kind of gone from writing to the interviewing side and thought, well, actually, no, I really, really like this. Then I started the YouTube channel. And it was from there that I decided, well, actually, maybe this isn't the way forward. I really want to do something to give a big, big, much bigger boost to the, the rock scene and particularly the UK rock scene. And that's where my TV show Amped came into it so that, that's another story <laughs> so, uh, well that, that's that's great to hear because we are, take a very personal view of, of what we're talking about you know it's it's kind of our experience with these great albums or with these concerts with these artists that we like to review on our show uh, you have to make it personal you have to tell your side of the story and your experience with it and working into interviews that's a lot of fun i mean i was going through some of your interviews on anti-hero and hrh we've done some great interviews but, you know, some real rock and roll heroes. I mean, you got to interview Glenn Hughes right when he was joining the Dead Daisies. You got to interview Phil Campbell with Between Bastard Sons and doing a, a solo album, which is pretty exciting. You know, Mariah Formica is a cool artist. So, you know, my question now is, is it more fun for you to kind of help break a new artist that maybe not everybody knows about? Or is it more fun for you to take someone who you've kind of loved your whole life or is kind of a classic artist that it's like, oh man, I always hoped I could talk to that person and now you have. Yeah, I definitely prefer interviewing the up-and-coming artists okay. because it's always, you know, a great honor to be able to interview the legends, shall we say, mm -hmm. such as Glenn Hughes. And I had a lovely telephone conversation with him when I was interviewing him. And he did tell me that, he, you know, there were some things there that he, he'd said to me that he'd never mentioned to anybody but about his family and mm -hmm. about his mother and all kinds of things. And, and it was absolutely lovely. But people like that have been interviewed a million times. There's nothing that you can't read about them anywhere online you right. know that's not really that much fun for me breaking out the new bands that's what I'm all about so, yeah I mean how you know how long can you just write about the same sort of people same bands over and over again to me that's not that interesting I would imagine too for the established people starting something new a solo project or a new band that would be hard for them because most people interviewing them would just drift back toward the classic stuff and they're there to talk about the new stuff I I would think that that's they would kind of come in with that prejudice. They know that the interviewer is probably going to drift back to what they know. So that's got to be tough for you to kind of convince them, no, 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 I, I know what we're here to do. I know we're here to talk about the new stuff. I'm going to take that forward where the new bands, they're just happy to be there and talk to anybody and are excited that you're – showcasing them absolutely and, and the thing you do find sometimes with the more established artists is that they're so used to being interviewed that they sort of have set things that they say and ways that they say them right. and it never really feels like you're getting anything particularly new you know from them um, that they haven't just told somebody else 
so you know and I, and I like exclusives if, if mm-hmm. the band is going to tell me something I want to know I want to be the first to know well the other yeah. thing too is it's it's it sounds to me like a lot of times when you talk to people that have been doing this for a long time they don't want to put all the cards on the table they want to have very can like you said answers where it's like they can't say anything crazy where you know they don't want a gotcha moment or they don't want to come off as being arrogant or whatever so you don't really get to talk to a real person you kind of just get a scripted answer from them very much so yeah with, with some exceptions but and that's your job your job is to make them feel comfortable you're not going to talk about anything they don't want to talk about you're not going to ask them anything weird you're going to be respectful and get the message across and then i think if you can break through then you can have a real conversation with them and especially somebody like you that's a fan of music. So tell me a little bit about Ants. I mean, this is something that you're kind of producing and creating. It sounds like it's pretty exciting for you. Well, you know what? We, we produced a pilot last November. I'm working with a really good production team, great po- you know, editor, post-production. My host couldn't be better, Brad Marr from Massive. Uh, he, he flew over from Germany for it in the middle of the whole pandemic. It was amazing. And I had loads of press there. Um, I invited a lot of guests. We had a great time. Venue was ideal. It was at the Waterloo Music Bar in Blackpool. And it was a really, really good show. We, we were there all day interviewing the bands. We had live bands. So the audience there was there for a gig, basically. Sure. And it was just a really nice atmosphere. You know, we had pyrotechnics that the bands weren't expecting. <laughs> it made them jump. Which, uh, no, it was great. And, of course, the hard work begins once the pilots finish in trying to get it commissioned or licensed. And that's the most difficult thing. But it does seem that festivals are the way to be able to go see new music and, and to get in, get young bands in front of bigger audiences. You say, oh, these guys are good live. Put them in front of a big audience, you know, way down the bill. You know, maybe they're playing at 1230 in the afternoon or something like that. But who cares? It's an opportunity for them to get their name on posters next to big names. Some people will be out there and see them and will discover them. So, I mean, is that part of why you you do a lot of work on the festival scene? Yeah, I really I really enjoy the festival, generally. It's great to be able to see them out there. They're, they're very friendly. I don't, go, I don't like covering big festivals, you know. I mean, true, I've never had an invite to cover download, but it's... It's not my thing, you know. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. I like to feel that when I'm at a festival, that it's you're surrounded not just by good music, by kind of like a community. You know, the rock community has that friendliness about it that I love, and you really sense that when you're at one of the smaller festivals, especially the charity festivals that I've covered, like Sabfest last year. I mean, that was lovely, small festival, good lineup, and it couldn't be nicer people, you know, for a great cause. So uh, I know there's one called Steel Paws, which is in Sheffield later this year that I'm hoping to get to as well in fact Sheffield seems to be the the epicenter for festivals I can name about three or four that I'm planning on doing this year in Sheffield so I don't know what it is about the place but I did read your article about going to the uh winters what was the name winter's end planet rocks winter's end and the good news is reading the article I really felt like I was there and the bad news was (laughs) I really felt like I was there. <laughs> yeah, it just it just sounded like a it just sounded like a train wreck. But you know, I was I was reading it and I was thinking the whole thing must be a massive undertaking for the promoter to to try oh, yeah. and put this together and and maybe I was going to ask did you think maybe it was it was a, a venue thing or was it the promoter who really wasn't didn't do their job? correctly because I mean it just sounded like a train I say a little from column A and a little from column B <laughs> <There you go. laughs> 
yeah, the venue was completely unsuitable. And it, it would have taken a basic risk assessment to establish that. So how that how, how that passed the test for a three-day festival, I I don't understand. I don't know. The venue is definitely at fault. Um, and the promoter for holding it there. Yeah, you know, you, you, I don't need to repeat what I, I've written. You, you mm. read it yourself. You saw how I felt about it. The whole feeling was one of hostility, you know towards me and my assistant which I don't appreciate mm-hmm. when I'm covering a festival for free anyways well and especially it, when you were trying to promote like that's what yeah, you were there you know, to do you were trying to, you were trying to I, yeah if I'm going to a festival everybody knows about it because it will be on my social media pages mm-hmm. it'll be on all of them you know it'll be on Instagram Facebook Twitter and I will promote them and that's exactly what I did with this one but it felt very one-sided shall we say mm-hmm. and at the end of the day Planet Rock don't need me to promote them and I think that's the problem in a way when you get to that size and that level, I think there's a feeling, well, we don't need anybody else. We don't need the press. We don't need good publicity. No one's going to say anything bad about us anyway. We can do what the hell we like. And, you know, as long as they've got their thousands and thousands of people that listen to them and that are willing to go to the events and play and pay money for a subpar experience, then they're not going to worry what they give punters, you know, and think, well, we'll get away with it. And that's fine, right. you know, so. It's not so fine, of course, but that didn't that didn't sound like a like the best experience on the face of the earth. So let me ask you, what is the best festival you've ever been to? Oh gosh, big one. No, there's been a few. SOS Festival was one of my favourites. That's in Manchester, so nice and local for me, which is lovely. They're actually changing venues this year. They had to cancel last the last years. They always have a really good lineup. They have two stages. They put on a lot of the well-known, should we say, new wave classic rock bands, but also some some different, you know, something a little bit different which I like, you know, you're not going to get exactly the same lineup there as all the other festivals. And that's a really nice one, very nice environment. And you know, I'm hoping the new venue, which is Whittles and Oldham, I'm hoping that the new venue for this year will be as good as the last. But it's an, a well-run festival, should we say. You know, there's a press room there and there's enough tables. That, you know, each, each press, each journalist has got a table themselves, which is very nice. I, I, had, I brought my kids there once. <laughs> it's very family-friendly festival okay. as well which is probably and then you know they set up a chessboard in the press room and happily playing chess while i was interviewing How about so that? It, it really yeah it really really nice attitude from the organizers and that's what you want you know they had somebody in charge of, of organizing the actual interviews for you so you can have to do that in advance you know with some festivals oh, you sort of organize nice. them beforehand and then you're not sure where you're going to be able to actually interview them and it's, it's quite it can be quite difficult or, or what time but it's it's run very well at SOS. You know, there's somebody there to sort of liaise between the bands and the, the journalists and whatnot. So I think that'd be one of my favourites. Um, and there's a few others, and there's a few that I'm, I'm going to be covering for the first time this year. Heretic Fest is one I'm really looking forward to, and it's one that I mentioned uh, in Sheffield. Again, a three-day festival this, so very ambitious, really great lineup. I'm very excited to cover that one. And then there's others, there's smaller ones, there's Bradstock and Bradford, and Stone Dead is another one I really enjoyed covering. Tell me, I mean, being Americans, we would hear about Donington back in the day, you know, when it was Monsters of Rock, now it's kind of the download festival. But, you know, Glastonbury has been going on for more than 50 years, and it's it's kind of turned into this small little thing in the field with a pyramid to really the, the enormous showcase that it is today. And you look at the names on there, I mean, yes, you, you'll see the headliners like Paul McCartney, Billie Eilish, Kendrick Lamar, but look down the list, and there's all sorts of amazing bands there. I don't know if they have it lined up every day quite yet, but, I mean, have you ever 
ever gone to any of those huge ones at all o- over the years? Not Donington, but yes, Glastonbury. Mm-hmm. And the last time I went to Glastonbury was in 94, and that's also the last time I ever camped. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't do camping anymore. <laughs> that, that I don't blame but you. Yeah, 94 was known for having a great lineup, so I was really glad that I did Glastonbury that year. Beautiful weather, and I had the smallest tent in the field, which I borrowed from a friend. <laughs> no, no facilities. Yeah, I like my luxuries a bit more these days. But yeah, that, that was a really good experience. Um, right. Hey, this is Anna Stella, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. On social media, you definitely have a glamorous rock and roll presence between your beautiful colored hair and all the cool rock outfits you bring. You fit the mold of a rock journalist, but also, you know, someone you don't you don't want to mess with backstage, right? You better be on the level with this woman or, you know, well, she's not going to take yeah, it. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. <laughs> that's exactly the look I'm going for. So, uh, yeah. Well, and I think that I think that probably helps too with with again, well, like we were talking about before, making people comfortable with talking to you. If you look the way that you do, they feel like you're you're a fan and you're kind of part of the world. You know, if you walk in there in a suit and tie, I'm sure they're thinking, "Oh, geez, here's eh, what's this guy all about?" I mean, it's it's fun to look like that, but I think it also helps to to kind of let people know what you're all about that you're that you're there to look at them from a from a like a fan's perspective uh, or someone who appreciates music. Yeah, I think I think you're, you're you know spot on. I mean, image is important whether you know whether it's professional image, whether it, it's the band's image. Well, you know, it's important. Um, I like to look like I'm in the right job, shall we say. More, apart from that, I love dressing up. I love everything I wear. So, you know, you don't get much chance really to wear that sort of stuff walking the dog. So, uh, yeah, I mean, right. when I go out, when I go to the festivals, I like, I like to, to bring my festival gear with me and <laughs> that's it. Well, what about bands? I mean, talk to me about, you know, and I know you say you, you know we moved to Manchester in 94. A lot of that Brit pop was very popular. Like you say, Oasis were about to take over the world around that time. And, and no. I'm a huge Oasis fan. I feel like you can't really understand the Oasis experience as an American. That they're, the, the experience is not the same because it just as far as culturally what was going on in the UK during that time with like the end of Thatcherism and the rise of some more liberal politicians creating a new scene that was very British. It's not just like what's America doing? Okay, we'll do the same thing. No, this is something that was yours that people could take pride in again. Young people were kind of hearing, having their voices heard. Time film and music and fashion and politics was all kind of going the UK's way because yes, Oasis were popular in America. Yes, they sold some records, but not nearly on the same level. There was just another band of that 90s era, whereas in the UK, they're the new Beatles. They're the lovely lads. They're the people who really made people proud to be English again. And so can and you... particularly if you happen to be living in Manchester at the time. I bet. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing Oasis track. And I went there as a, a metal. I love metal, rock, goth, all that stuff. So to me, it was like, mm, do I like this? I'm not sure, you know. And yeah. it was all like Blur or Oasis at that time. So if you were from London, it was more likely to be Blur. And if you're from, you know, imagine I'd gone from London to Manchester, but as soon as you know, Oasis, Oasis were everywhere, like I said. And as soon as I, I kind of got into them, I thought, oh yeah, they, these are amazing. These guys, they, this band is just. Phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, now if I listen to Oasis, it just takes me right back right. to that time, to 95, 96, and, and, you know, hearing them. I'd go into the student union for my lunch, Oasis would be playing. <laughs> it, it, was, it was an amazing time. It really was. And, and, 
you got that real sense walking around Manchester. There's a real spirit. Do you know what I mean? Like an atmosphere. And, and it was phenomenal. I loved it. Yeah. Wow. Sorry I missed it, you know, uh, because... Uh, <laughs> well, seriously, you know, because honestly, I didn't get into Oasis right away. Jackson and I, our tastes run a little older anyway, right? We, we kind of like music from the 60s and 70s, even though we grew up mostly in the 80s and the 90s. And so if people are age like stuff in the 90s, I'm, I, yeah, I was suspect of it. But I'm like, you're the reason there was new kids on the block, people. I, I don't want to know what you like now, okay? I, you, you're suspect. I'll just go back and listen to the Stones from the 70s. I'll listen to Led Zeppelin. I'll listen to Black Sabbath. But then eventually when I got into them, like, well, Oasis are brilliant. Why weren't they bigger in America? And they were, but nothing like they were in the UK. Yeah, I mean, there's so many differences between over there and us over here, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of what's popular and what is I mean, I know you've got bands, UK bands that are bigger over there than they were in England. That's so, right. yeah, I mean, who, who can sort of say what the reason is for that? Who knows? It's one of those things. <laughs> It and we never know. So tell me about some bands that, that you're digging these days. You know, I was fortunate enough to see a Canadian band called oh, the Sheepdogs when they came to London here recently. That was fun. It's fun to, to find new young bands who are, who are great to see live. Who can you turn us on to that maybe we might not know about? Do you know what? There's so many that I'm just reluctant to give you any names for fear of, of missing somebody else out. Sure. Um, you know, like when you're put on the spot. You'll say something and then afterwards think, oh, I, I should have said that. And I don't want to make that mistake. Fair enough. <laughs> so I would just say, have a look at any of the lineup on any of the festivals that I'm covering this year. And they are all really good bands. I mean, okay, well, I say all. All the ones that I've heard of that I know are really good, you know, and they are definitely worth checking out. Why don't you just tell us, remind us of all the... Uh, all the festivals I mean, that you're going to this year that you're lined up for. I've got Road Rage coming up really soon. So that's in Sheffield at the Corporation. That's got Tyler's Dogs Moore on it and it's got Gorilla Riot on it and I would go just for them. So yeah, uh, Revival Black, brilliant band from Liverpool. I mean, the band that I just did, the, sorry, the festival I've just been to, you had some great bands like Bastet and I know she's doing a lot of festivals this year um, and Scarlet Rebels who just had their album go into the, the UK charts at number 10 so yeah those are all brilliant bands Howling Tides as well I know I said I wasn't going to mention bands so I'm going to mention them all now and <laughs> uh, Lane who I managed to meet and interview well I've interviewed them before but actually meet in the flesh for the first time last weekend it, a brilliant band from, from Scotland and some amazing bands coming out of Wales you know, you've got like Florence Black and a load of, of, of others that I've discovered. Um, so yeah, Road Range coming up. Then you've got the Rock and Roll Outlaw Weekend. Now this is a really, really nice uh, festival at the Globe in Blossom. It's not the easiest to get to, but when you get there, you can be assured of a warm welcome. You know, okay. it's one of those really friendly festivals that I, I love. Then there's Bradstock which I, I think is the first one. I think it's the inaugural Bradstock in Bradford. I've not heard too much about it lately, but I'm being assured it is going ahead. So that's the 1st of May. Okay. Um, I think it's just a one-day festival. Again, really good lineup there. I mean, you see a lot of these festivals, the lineups do overlap. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. But of course, you know, because all the festivals want the, the bands that are doing great and, you know, they all are. So, um, you know, you've got bands like Hollow Star playing some of them and, um, you know, they're one of my favourite bands as well at the moment have been for a while um heretic fest i mentioned that's yep. in sheffield and then sos 
is in July, North Manchester, Stone Dead in August, at the end of August, and you've got Rockwich, which I think is the same weekend, which makes it difficult for me, because I've covered both these festivals before. Uh-oh. But to do them both at the same weekend is hard. <laughs> it's hard going. That's a big ass. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I sort of alternate one year, do Stone Dead, one do Rockwich, something like that, but... Again, very, very different festivals. Rockwich is indoors, from what I remember. I think they might have an outdoor acoustic bit the night before. I'm not quite sure, but a uh, really good festival. Really nice, nicely organised Rockwich. Uh, Rocking the Bowl is one that I'm going back to this year. Yeah, that's great. Um, a lot of people seem to be cottoning on to, to Rocking the Bowl. Really nice, really well organised. A uh, lot of volunteers. Well, I was just going to say, what's interesting to me is when we spoke earlier, because you yeah. did, you just, you, you did kind of rip Winter's End for, for not being the ideal venue and for not being welcoming, not only to fans, but to the yeah. journos who were backstage. You would think after putting that out there, a, a lot of people were like, all right, well, let's make sure she doesn't come to our festival. But it's been kind of the opposite, haven't you? <laughs> hasn't it? It's like people are yeah. like, oh, let's get her to our festival and talk to the bands, yeah? Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. And I was going to mention that, actually, because within a, a day or so of that article being published, I had um, invitations from the organisers about four or five festivals. I know Legend, Legends of Rock, who had their festival at the same time as Winter's End. So they've invited me next year. Breaking Bands Fest, Shark Fest, Winter Storm, and maybe been one or two others. You know, those are the ones that stick in my mind now. But like I say, fully booked for this year. I just can't. I don't take on anymore. My, my dog will disown me. Right. I can't, can't stay away that, that long. <laughs> but it's so nice of them to invite me. And, you know, they all wrote to me and said, well, we can, we can give you this, we can give you that. And I'm thinking, you know, I don't need red carpet. I don't, I don't need any luxury. It's just, you know, somewhere where you feel welcome and where the festival goers are given a good experience. That's what I consider a, a good festival. And those are the kind but I want to cover. A little bit of luxury wouldn't hurt, though. Well, yeah, it wouldn't hurt, would it? I mean, you, you mentioned in your article about how these bands, especially up-and-coming bands, who are just trying to get noticed, are not going to say anything about the conditions because they can't. Oh, no. And so it's it's nice that you can have a voice and point things out where you think you know that need improvements to improve not only your experience, the fans' experience, and these bands' experience also. Absolutely. And, you know, people talk. Other members of the press talk. I consider these events, in a way, as a networking thing for press because you're all there usually only when things are bad mind when things are good people are too, too having too much fun to compare those, you know. and you can tell uh, how you know how things are going but absolutely with the bands and of course i talk to them like most of the bands i interview i i know i've spoken to them uh, or even the ones i haven't i i'm certainly you know i get on with them all and i i feel like i've got this sort of instant rapport once we chatted for a couple of minutes, that's it. You know, we're best friends. So, so yeah, they will tell me things. And I think, well, that's not quite right. And you shouldn't feel like that. And, you know, but they will never say anything. And they won't because... They can't. You know, the last thing they want is to be... Yeah, you know, I think a lot of them, and especially the bands I interview, the more less established ones, you know, the newer bands, what, what, they, I think they feel almost that they're powerless. What can they do or say? Go, you'll see on their Facebook page up event. Oh, thanks to blah blah blah, putting us on. And it's the same every time. I think all these bands can't have such a great experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if the crowd really digs them and they have a really good reception, then that's great. And that's I'm guessing the most important thing from their point of view. But that doesn't mean that that's where their good experience needs to end for them. They should have an all round positive experience in the event whether or not they're being paid or not you know by the by the promotions on pick on there 
you know, the whole merch thing is another issue. You know, like it came up on Twitter recently that some festivals and some venues are, and promoters are charging 25% on not just profits from merch, but on the total sales. And, they charge, and the way that they're managing to do this, from what I can gather, is by putting one of their own staff there to sell it. And say, well, we're providing somebody for you to to sell your stuff, therefore, you know, we will take a cut. But I say to the bands, well, are you, you know, are you given a choice? Does the venue say to you, well, we can provide somebody and take a cut, or we'll allow you to sell your own merch and not take a cut? And they say, well, no, we're not given that choice. So it's not a real choice, is it? So um, it's not things that are right, but yeah. Same thing, you know, very few bands will say anything about it. And if they do, if if you know they're not happy about the situation, it will still be very hush-hush. They won't come out publicly and say, oh, well, this is what happened to me. Do you want to tell people where they can see your articles or where to follow you on social media, where to find out where you're going? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, do I I even know what my own social media platforms are? Well, I'm Estella, Anastella Rocks or Anastella Rock on Twitter and Instagram and underscore Estella underscore Rocks I'm there. I'm on Facebook, Anastella. Uh, my articles are currently in AMP, which is myampmusic.co, I believe. There you go. And, yeah, I, I, I'm, on, I'm on social media quite a lot. Probably too often, too much, too <laughs> much. There was a time when I didn't do social media, and now I can't live without it. So, uh, which I guess is the case for a lot of people in this business. Bands, I'll try and tag a band in something on Twitter. I can't find them and I'll contact them. What's your Twitter handle? Oh, well, we don't do Twitter. Get on there. That's a bad idea, yeah. Absolutely. Well, no, we've really enjoyed uh, speaking with you here this afternoon, this morning for Jackson. Thank you. And and wish you all the luck, not only with your your career here, but, you know, with all these festivals that you're going to. Make sure you're not four inches deep in mud in those four-inch heels. Uh, That that would make it really hard. To get around. Um, I've been lucky so far. I've been lucky. It's always been dry whenever I've come to a festival. Boiling hot, yeah, but dry. So I uh, can't complain too much about that. I'm hoping next time I speak to you to have some news about AMP, that I'll have a nice sponsor and I'll have a ah. TV station to put on. Well, excellent. <laughs> but that's my focus now. That's my main focus, yeah, getting that out there. Well, all the best, and thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, great chatting to you, too. Really, it really has been lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for your time. It, it restores my faith that there are some good people in this industry. You know, talking to well, guys thank like you. you. Thank you for thinking that we're in the industry. Yeah. I appreciate that. Or that we're good people. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Phew. Well, that wraps up quite the 70th show for us here on the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock podcast with two amazing women in rock. Amanda Lehman, who we know from the show from a little while here, amazing musician, songwriter, arranger, singer, talent, uh, who has a new song out, One Last Spin. And also Anastella, a new friend of the show, rock journalist, who's out there living the life and trying to get attention for the bands and the festivals that she likes, that she cares about, that treats the fans and the bands with respect. And so we encourage you to go to any shows out there that she's attending and covering this year. As usual, folks, as we wrap this up, we want to know, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Please let us know. you got to tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. DM us. Let us know the bands, the albums, the concerts, the DVDs, the rock properties you want us to cover. 
Please make sure and subscribe and download anywhere you get your podcast: Apple, Amazon, Google Play. Good Pods has been very good to us lately. And check out all of our friends at the Pantheon Podcast Network. You can go to PantheonPodcast.com or at Pantheon Pods. A lot of amazing shows, and we're really proud to be a part of that. Now, next week, we're going to get a little bit into our reunion. Yes, Jackson was here in London with me for about a day and then a little bit of another day. He's really with his family, but we got to have a blast running around London, checking out rock and roll legendary homes and buildings and haunts and places where the old school rockers that you hear us talk about on the show frequented and partied at and lived at over the decades. We had a lot of fun with that. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about the Genesis show I got to see. I got to see the second to last show of Genesis' career here in London at the O2. A lot of it was great. Some of it was sad. I'm going to get into all of that on the show with Jackson here next week. So until then, all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.